Any of you that will get this podcast or come back to this broadcast on YouTube, we welcome you. All of you that are in the building, we welcome you this morning. We love the Lord and we love His Word. The Bible said in Amos, well, one of the prophets said there's a famine in the land, not of, uh, not of bread and water, but of hearing the Word of the Lord. We don't want that to be true here. We want to stand for God's Word. We want to get that in you. You need to get it in yourself as well. Amen. The Bible says heaven and earth is going to pass away someday, but the Word of the Lord will stand forever. Amen. Give Him praise. He's worthy. As we get ready to go on to praise and worship time, I want to read this psalm to you. He said, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the mountains of the isles be glad. So that's all of us, right? Every nation, every planet. He made everything. Everything belongs to the Lord. The Hebrew would say it this way. The Lord reigns and you better be glad it's Him and not someone else. Think about that for a minute. What if somebody else was in charge besides the all-righteous, perfect God? Be bad for all of us, right? He can't do any wrong. He can't tell a lie. He's perfect. He doesn't sleep or slumber. I'm glad the Lord's in charge. Amen. The Lord reigns, he said. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. His lightnings light the world and the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord, the whole earth, of the whole earth, the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Let all be put to shame who served carved images, who boast of idols, worship him. All you gods, Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, Lord, are most high above all the earth. Remember last week, He is the Lord of hosts. He is in charge, and He's our way maker. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. He's worthy. better now let's give the Lord some praise in this house amen Lord we love you give you glory give you honor and praise you are worthy of our praise worthy of our worship worthy of our gratitude and our sacrifice you are worthy of our sacrifice amen I want you to think about sacrifice we should be people of sacrifice and we know that the greatest sacrifice has already been given to us. You and I are never going to outgive God. We're so far in the hole to get started, we're never going to catch up. He gave us His only begotten Son. We'll never catch up. No matter what you give, time, money, resources, you're never going to outgive God. He's always going to be ahead of you. He loves us and He's on our side. Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise one more time. I feel like I need to say this for a couple of reasons, but you're in a church that don't just have church. We've got three other churches. 
two schools and we're heavily involved with two orphanages and we do mission work in China and Israel and around the globe. And you're all a part of that. And you can be a part of that. We're so thankful that God has used this vehicle. We want to be known as the people that if God has to say, somebody, we need to find somebody to do that, we want him to say, take that down there to those people in Basilea and live in water. They'll do whatever we ask them to do. That's who we want to be known as. We, we baptized four more last Sunday. Let's give God praise for that. Down at the river, we're thankful for the property that we have at the river. It's been a blessing to us in so many ways. Shake somebody's hand as I tell you. We have two nurseries next door, across the alley there, and then we have a children's church. So you're dismissed. The rest of you may be seated. You do not have rose-colored glasses on this morning. It's my jacket. That's John Conley. He's from Versailles, Kentucky. Do you know that? You do not have rose color. I got this jacket for 30 bucks, so I bought it. <laughs> Some of you wouldn't have given 30 bucks for it, would you? <laughs> if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Once again, we welcome all you that are watching us today from around the globe. And uh, we, our latest uh, participant is Vietnam, so we welcome you guys. I think that makes us 55 countries that we know about. Give God praise for that. Amen. And I think we're still in 48 states. Is that right, Keith? And we're trying to figure out what's wrong with the other two. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love or agape, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So no matter how spiritual you are, if you speak with the tongue of men and even the tongue of the heavenly tongue of angels, if you don't have love, Paul said, or the Holy Spirit said, you're just a clanging symbol. Now, if you remember, if you were here Thursday, if you caught the study on Thursday that we do at, at lunchtime on Thursday, we're in Exodus and we're, we're talking about the high priest and the high priest, he wore uh, bells and pomegranates around the bottom of his garment. And there would be a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate, which represent the manifestations or what we call the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. So the reason there was fruit in between those bells is the bells would just be a bunch of clanging mess if they didn't have those fruit in between there. So because the fruit's in between there, those bells made a clear and distinct sound. Nobody wants to hear what we have to say if we don't bear any fruit. Amen? Amen. So God's called us to be people who bear fruit. The Holy Spirit will use us, but we want to make sure that love is the principal thing in our lives. I'm going to show you something that you may have never heard. A couple of things put this way, but I really believe the Holy Spirit's given us some insight with that. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains... But have not love or God, I am nothing. I'm nothing, right? In other words, you can be the most spiritual person on the block or on your Facebook group. But if you don't have love or operate in love, he said, we're nothing. Nothing. The Bible didn't say they'll know your disciples. And I even shared this a while ago. They didn't say you'll know your, they'll know you're my disciples by how many ministries you have. Didn't say that. Didn't say they'll know your disciples by what kind of church service you have 
or how you dress. He said, they'll know you're my disciples by how you love one another. Love one another. So love is the principal thing. He's going to get to that in just a moment. But he says, I am nothing if I have all this going on and I don't have love. And though I bestow, here's another one that we like to take some pride or comfort in. He said, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So you all have seen this before. Let me go to this board. We illustrate a couple of Greek words uh, uh, to uh, show how love works. Eros and agape are two words that, in the Greek that are translated love. Agape, we use a straight arrow to illustrate because it's love with no motive. Eros, we use uh, a hook, an arrow with a hook, like a fish's hook, because eros has a motive. If you study eros, it was not a sexual term in the beginning. It became one over time, but eros was a self-centered love. So what we try to teach our children, and we'll be joining in and helping teach with grandchildren, is you got to recognize that. If you're somebody, you got to recognize if somebody's loving you with agape or with eros, right? And you need to recognize that and you need to pray about it and understand that. Now, originally, eros was considered self-centered love. And it would, and I'm not good at this drawing. I'm pretty good at some drawings, but not this one. Uh, a snake with its own tail in its mouth because he's consumed by himself. So eros, I'll give you some examples. Eros... Or agape, the guy says, I love you. I want you to be my helpmate. I want us to raise godly seed together. Agape. She says, I love you too. Your family's got a lot of money. Eros. Right? He says, or she says, I love you. I want to I be your helpmate. I want us to follow the Lord. I want to be your partner in life. And he says... I love you too. You're really good looking. Right? Nothing wrong with being good looking. But you see the motive behind that. And that's why we illustrate these and bring those out. He said, love suffers long and is kind in verse uh, 4. And does not envy. Love does not envy. Think about that for a moment. Love does not envy. Love is satisfied. Look at this. Love is not envy. Love does not parade itself. It does, it's not showy. It doesn't say, look at me. This is how, who I am. This is what I do. It does not behave rudely. It, now, we, we probably can look at our lives and say, but I've done that before, right? You've seen all these things. It does not seek its own. There's that eros side, right? The wrong side that seeks its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity. Doesn't say things. They got what they had coming. Believes all things. Hopes all things. And endures all things. Love is hanging in there. And then he says, love never fails. Yeah, amen. Did he just say that? The Holy Spirit, through the apostle here, said love Never fails. Now, I'm going to lay something on you heavy here. But it's true. If that statement's true, if something's failing, love is not 
fully operational in it. Wow. Why? Because love don't get it done most of the time. Love never fails. That's what he just said. So if something's failing, what's missing? Love. That's a powerful statement. Think about it. Love never fails. And here's why a lot of times relationships fail. Because somebody is seeking their own in that. That's not love. He just said it, right? Doesn't seek its own. Anybody ever heard of Wellington Boone? He's a fantastic man of God. He's an African American. And he talks about how him and his wife serve one another. Some beautiful stuff. And how their goal is to serve each other and not to be served. And with both people having that kind of attitude, that's how relationships can really soar. He said he started getting up early, trying to get some stuff done. And said, then she started getting up earlier than him, trying to get stuff done. Loving one another. Love has action, right? For God so agapowed, it's the verb form of agape there in John 3.16. For God so agapowed that he done what? He gave. He gave. His first internal movement was love. And his first external movement was to give. That's what love does. Love gives. In relationships, in the kingdom, in the community, in the body, love gives. That's the first outward movement God had toward us. God loved us. And then he gave. What did he give? The best thing he had in heaven. That's why I said, you'll never outgive God. You're so far in the hole already to get started. You're never going to outgive him. We're all that way. Me too. Then he says, love never fails. Think about that. If something's failing, what is not operating correctly? Love. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But then, when that which is perfect has come, when Jesus returns again, these things will be done away with because we'll, be, we'll know at that point we'll be living with him. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. So the whole, the eternity is going to open up to us. And now, watch this. Now about faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is. Now that's interesting thought. That's interesting truth, I should say. Because we know that it's, how important is faith, pisteo? How important is pisteo or faith? It's impossible to please God without it, he said. So that's pretty important. So for God to come back around and say that love is greater than faith, that is power. Because love has to be operational for us to operate in faith correctly. Or we'll pick and choose how we operate. 
Think about some things God said. God said in Psalm 119 that he's magnified his word above his name. We know how important his name is. There's no other name whereby men might be saved. But his word, of course Jesus is the word made flesh, one and the same. But his word, so God's word is so important and our faith in that is critical, right? God, God moves because of faith. And I say this from time to time, I want to remind you. God don't move because of need. If, there, if God just moved because of need, he'd go through the hospital today and clean it out. Everybody up there has a need. And there are people in this building that are listening to me around the globe. You've got needs this morning. God doesn't move because of need. If God moved because of, just because of need, he would see the need and fix it. God moves by faith. That's how God moves. It's very important for us to have faith. Yet he says that love is greater. Love is greater. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 14. I want to show you a couple of things today in this sermon. I really feel intentional about entreating us today. The last couple of weeks I've preached pretty hard, but I really want to entreat you today and pour this into your spirit. And I want you to leave here because I'm going to show you something that I think could change your life if you've, already, if you've not already stepped into this, what I'm getting ready to show you. In John 14 verse 25... He says, excuse me, Luke 14, verse 25. In Luke 14, verse 25, we'll go to John next. In Luke 14, verse 25, he says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Bad word there in English, probably word hate because of the way the connotations it carries with us here in our culture. But the Greek word means to love less. Doesn't mean to detest the way we understand the word hate to mean. It means to love less. So basically, let me read it that way to you. If anyone comes to me and does not love his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and his own life less than me, he cannot be my disciple. So everything has to come in behind Christ. He wants us to love him first. It's designed that way. If you think about God, if you, go, if you look, God is the only being that exists internally. In other words, God needs nothing outside of himself to exist. That can't be said about the devil, can't be said about an angel, can't be said about any of us. We're dependent on other things going on that God has created for us to exist. God exists internally. That sets him apart, right? So God asking us to put him first is not going to change his order. It's not going to help him, like a Google search, move from down here up to the top. He's on top regardless of whether you and I. Follow him or love him. He's, so that's what's so unselfish about this. God's perspective, he knows that if we place him first in everything, that our lives will go best, right? So the children of Israel, while I got this here, uh, me, you, and I, we're designed to revolve around God. When Israel 
had God in the center of their world, their life, their culture, revolved around that, everything went well. But when they put themselves, me, in the middle and try to plug God in wherever they have time for him, that's when things start going the wrong way. So you can't love anything more than Jesus and be his disciple. You fill in the blank. Whatever the blank, whatever, whatever is the challenge for your life, you cannot love that thing or that person more than Jesus and be his disciple. I mean, that's as plain a talk as we can see. Now, when does that thing become too important? Well, did you, did you put off God for something once and then it got easier and easier and pretty soon you've always got an excuse. Well, I'll go serve God or I'll do that whenever. And you can wake up someday and realize that thing, whatever you may have filled the blank in with, could become in front of God. For some people, it's money. For some people, it's fame. For some people, it's another relationship. For some people, it's whatever. That their jobs or their careers or any number of things. Some people, it's their children. That they, they forgot who gave them those children. So you could fill in that blank with a lot of different things. But as long as God is in the center and you revolve around that, that's how life should be. So you cannot love. So he says, love anything. If anyone comes to me, does not hate his father, mother, brother, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and his own life also, love less is what that means. He cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. A cross is an emblem of death, right? So basically, he's asking us to die to our desires and let him give us the desires of our heart. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. So he is challenging us to love him first. He's telling us that love is the greatest thing. And then he's offering us the power of love in 1 Corinthians there when he said, it never fails. Love never fails. And I know our flesh don't like to hear that. But what causes things to fail is when love begins to wane or move out. And we may have our own excuses of why that happens. But that's why things fail. Now, let's go to John. And this is where I really want to point out something to you. John chapter 14. Let me show you something here as I take this into a, a shift of gear on you here. In John chapter 14, let's look at verse um, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. So, as we read in 1 Corinthians 13, the test of love is not the outward show that we do to let people know ministry or whatever. It's, it's the conformity to what he's asked us to do with his word. That shows our love, right? If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So we're going to get help. He said, he said, you got help on the way to obey. 
A little while longer the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. That's how God gauges our love. Alright? And he says, He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let's go on. And the, uh, Judas, is not as scary, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And when you read that, let me tell you how us Americans think. Because I thought this for years. When you read that, you and I see this if we're not careful. Effort. It's not what he's saying. When you read that, listen to what he said. If any man one loves me, he will keep my word. So he's connecting our obedience to what? Love. Our love, as our love grows, it's the automatic runoff of that is to keep his word. Nobody had to tell me how to love grandchildren. And the more time I spend with them, the more I love them. Now hear me. They don't have to consider whether or not I'm going to interact into their life and help them in their journey. Anything I can do because love's been established there. When love gets established, you do the right thing. Why? Because love never fails. Now connect that. Start connecting these dots. Love never fails. Love is the greatest. And if I love him, I will keep his word. So if I'm not keeping his word... Follow me here. If I'm not keeping his word, I don't have an effort problem. I got a love problem. When God does stuff in our hearts, why do you go home to your wife and your family? Because you love them. Right? You love them. It's automatic in your life. Right? You love them. But notice, if you've watched the world, and we've all watched the world do this over time, if they start giving some place to something else, they'll start falling in love with that. Right? And the reason I describe these arrows to us regularly is because we're, in our culture, we use the word love way too loose. Right? I love basketball, and I love God. Surely there's a difference. But we don't illustrate that with our language, right? We don't have the tools to do that as well as the Greek does. But we, surely they can't be the same, right? And, and what God's saying, whatever this over here is that you love, cannot ever come up to here to where he's at. 
Because once that happens, things get out of whack. And you can start loving other things. You can love the world. The Bible talks about people who love the world. The Bible talks about people who love money. I can't tell you in 30 plus years how many people I've had in my office over the years that chose a relationship with somebody else instead of one with God. They love that person more than they love God. And he said, if that's how life is for us, then we are, we're not his disciple. We can't be his disciple. Love is a great thing, right? Even the world talks about it. They don't understand it the way we would being believers. But they, they, they're hung up on love, right? There used to be an old song, love is a wonderful thing. It, it really is. But God's agape love is the height of that. And if I love him, here, here's what he's saying. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If you love your family, you'll go home. If you love whatever, right? Yeah, but here's what the point of this is. Love don't fail, and God wants to be the supreme part of that love. He, he wants us to love Him first, and here's what happens. And this is, this is what I've failed to get people to understand at times. Those who I have seen walk out and choose somebody over God. I've failed to get them to understand, or they can't tie into the fact, that when you love God first, your capacity to love grows. So if I love God first, I can love my children or whoever more. See, but the world gets in the flesh and they think, well, I got I to gotta go love on him. I got to keep him. Right? I got I to gotta give him all my devotion. I can't spread that out with God. It's like I use this... Uh, the we got some KU guys here that work the plant. I talked to them about the difference in the 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 things out there that produce electricity, the turbines or what, and how that there some of them's fired by hydro and some of them's fired by solar and some of them's fired by coal. And 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 the one that's fired by hydro and solar is like ten something megawatts. Y'all can shake your head if I'm getting close there. <laughs> uh, and and the coal. Of course, I'm a coal guy, right? I'm a coal miner. I love to tell this. The coal one is like 450. It's not even close. So here's your little sidebar. If they get rid of coal, we'll have to turn our lights off. But what happens is that coal, the BTU level is so high in that coal that it can produce far more kilowatts than any other product. That's how love is. When you love God first, your ability to produce more love grows. You're no longer just a little solar panel stuck out in the field. You're a chunk of coal <laughs> burning hot for the Lord. <laughs> Say amen. So, the ideal is if I love 
if I go over here and divide my love, see, that's how we think. If I go over here and divide my love and give some of it to God and start paying attention to God and start giving him, start making sacrifices for God in the kingdom, then I won't be able to, right? That's how, that's how the natural man thinks. But here's what God's saying. You put me first, right? And then you'll have a greater capacity to love your whoever you need to love. That's how this works. Your, your, your BTU level goes up in agape. When you love God first. And that's what God's trying to get across us. So here's what I really want to illustrate. Now I'm going to close here in just a minute because I really want to, I don't want to belabor this point, but I wanted to get to you to right here. If you love God, you will keep his commands. If you're not keeping his commands, which is the gauge of our discipleship and loving him, then you don't have an effort problem. You have a love problem. Now, if you're in love with somebody, your spouse, your girlfriend, boyfriend, your children, if you love them, when it's real love, it's effortless, isn't it? The love. Now, and I'm not saying people don't have issues to work through, but the, the love's effortless. Right? I mean, it's just like, man, I'm in. I'm in. The love is, once you love somebody, that, that, that love is effortless. And so you're committed to that. Right? That's why I have such respect for people who adopt children. And you hope someday that those children, when they come to the knowledge of that, realize how much love is in that. That they don't take it for granted. How much love for somebody to step out and say, I'm bringing you into my life. I'm bringing you into our family. We're going to make you just like one of us. You're not second to anybody else in this family. You're just as much a part of us as anybody else. That's love. What wonderful love. And so love is when it's operational the way it's supposed to be, it does not fail. Now, I'm not here to throw any stones. We've all seen love fail at some time or another in our lives. And if I took you back to 1 Corinthians 13, all of us could say, but I've done that. I've behaved rudely or I've, I've sought my own or I've, I've done things. We've all done things outside of love. But when we start understanding what love, the power behind it, and if we can give our lives to that, and the Bible even talks about how we can even take wrong upon ourselves. Do you know you can walk away from a situation and not always have to be right? Two of you know that. <laughs> have you, listen, something that us, us Christians need to remember. Until that person that you may see a problem with or have a concern about, until they can see it, they're not going to cooperate. So instead of arguing them down and making our point all the time, we'd be better off to be on our knees asking the Holy Spirit to open their eyes. Amen. And unlock their minds so they can see. And it's, it's good that we help others and see it. But there, I've, known, I've learned this over the years. You can't help people until they see what you see. Even children sometimes, you have to let them go. That's why I think the prodigal father is such, was such a wonderful man. He knew what was in his son had to come out. And it wasn't coming out. 
where he was at. Now, that's where I want to take you before I close. The altar was not a church thing. And most of what we do in the church was going on in the Old Testament long before. We just changed who we were looking at, right? We, Jesus has come to earth and we now realize that everything that we learned in the Old Testament was to show us a picture of him. But the altar was the first thing you saw when you came. If we can, shoot that up on the screen for me, that prayer journey. The altar was the first thing you saw when you came to talk to God. When you came to present yourself to God, the altar was the first thing you saw. And this altar, you can see that one here. This altar, when you came through the gate or the door here, that's the first thing you saw right there. An altar, that's the only place in Israel where the blood ran. Now they catch, caught some of it and took it back behind the veil. But this is the only place where the blood came openly. When we think about an altar, again, we think about things sometimes with a negative connotation. This altar is the best thing going for you and I. An altar is a wonderful thing. And I'm going to take us into communion with this. An altar is a wonderful thing because right there, God stops you and I before we come back here and visit him and have interaction with all these pieces of furniture which represent different facets of God, he stops us right here to clean us up. And the reason he cleans us up first is so that we can get everything that we need to get out of all this time we give him. So that there's no distractions. You're clean, headed back on in, on back in. This, this altar, <clears throat> let me tell you, what happens? I want to identify this. I wanted to identify two main things this morning. That if you're struggling with obedience, it's not an effort problem, it's a love problem. I want you to reconsider that. And the second thing I want you to think about is the beauty of an altar. There are people in the body over the years that have had some of the same issues that people have had out there that have destroyed their lives. But the difference is, they had an altar to use and lay it down on it and get it crucified. One of the greatest verses in the Bible that I'll read just in a minute and during communion is if we would judge ourselves, we would not have to be judged. That's a wonderful verse, isn't it? And that's what that altar is used for. You can come in here. Some people with the same tendencies, with the same temptations, with the same desires, with the same battles, get them relieved in here instead of them coming out in the open out there and destroying their lives. That's a wonderful thing. That God would offer us a place to offload our junk, right? To judge ourselves so that we wouldn't have to be judged. It's a beautiful, the altar is a wonderful opportunity for us to stay in tune with God, to stay clean with God, that we could have those moments to where we could bring all that to God because we've all operated outside of love at some time or another in our lives. And so we've needed to come and listen, 
I, I want to say this because I really feel like the Holy Spirit, and I, I, I don't want to talk to you about last night, but it was brutal last night. Warfare in my house was brutal. Sometimes I'm up hanging out with God. Last night, I wasn't hanging. Well, God was there, thank goodness. But I was in brutal warfare. Here's what we've trained our children and our grandchildren and some generations around us. We've trained them to try and get their relief from other people. And it don't work. We got to get our relief from God. What David say after he pulled all those stunts? He said, against you and you only. I understand. And so he went back to God. And this is why a lot of people are not getting over their mental oppression because they're trying to get their Facebook buddies to okay them or their co-workers to pat them on the back or somebody to give them encouragement when they need to just go lay it down and walk off free. Because whomever the Lord sets free is free indeed. And so this altar is not something to run from. It's something to embrace. They had four horns around the altar for a couple of reasons. Number one was to tie the sacrifice. But number two was for people to run and embrace for a place of refuge to hold on to that moment. So God is calling you and I to use this altar. It's a beautiful thing. If we use the altar the way God wants us to, intends for us to, that stuff that could destroy us will come out on the altar and be cleansed. And that's what God desires. He desires for us to use that altar. And so we run to that altar. That we ought to be so thankful that we have a place to go and unload. And I'll close with this story. I was witnessing to the, one of the worst People in our area years ago. Bad dude. Really bad guy. And I was trying to witness to him on the street actually. And he laughed at me a little bit. And then he come off with this to me. He said, you Christians ain't no different than us. Speaking of sinners. He said... You all sin just like we do. And he laughed again. And I, I paused for a moment and I said, I said, you know, you're right. I said, Christians do sin. I said, but there is a difference. I said, we got somewhere to go when we sin. And get it off of us. And you don't until you come to Christ. That was one of those God moments, you know. I was able to walk away and leave him speechless. Or the Holy Spirit was. But that's the good news. That stuff. There, there's Everybody in this building is going to face battles. You're going to face the heat of the enemy. He does not want you serving the Lord. He don't want you to love God first and the most. He wants you to allow other things to get in front of him. And he's going to do everything he can to come against your relationship with God. He's not after your motorcycle. He can't ride that in hell. He don't want you and I to follow the Lord. He's not after your stuff. He may mess with it a little bit. But what the enemy wants is for you and I to turn our backs on the Lord. So this altar is a great thing 
for all of us. If you miss the mark with love, you guys can come to the instruments. If you miss the mark with love, have you lived in eros instead of agape at times? Guarantee you every one of us have. Every single one of us probably have. But you've got a place to go clean that up. The Lord, if you'll bring it to the altar, if you'll bring it before the Lord, you can't, and some of us, we can't go back and fix everything. That, that's not what he's asking of us. He's just asking of us to lay it down and follow him and start walking in love. Now, that's the thing I've asked the Lord that I want more than anything. I want him to teach me how to walk in more love. I want that to be my lot. And he started that process in me last year in Amarillo, Texas. Teaching me how to walk in more love. There's power in love. You know what kept Jesus on that cross? Love. He had no other reason to be there. He didn't have any sin. He wouldn't pay in the price for his own sin. Love kept him there. Let's stand to our feet. Love. Faith, hope, and love, these three. And we know how important hope is. Even the world understands that. They're just trying to get their hope from the wrong place. And we know how important faith is because it's impossible to please God without it. So how important is love if it's greater than both of those? I'll tell you how important it is. When it's operating, it never fails. Never fails. Father, we thank you for this moment. And as we open this altar up for those who may be lost or those who are here in need, maybe a prodigal is under the sound of my voice. Maybe somebody who's struggling with love, love in a relationship or love toward you, God. Love toward their brother or sisters. I just pray right now, God, in this moment, that we would sort our love out and that we would love you first and most. And may all other loves come in behind that. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, we'll pray with you. If you're here and you're a prodigal, won't you come home? If you're here and you just need to spend some time with God, come up here and find your place and do your business with the Lord this morning as we worship Him for a few moments here.